Welcome to episode 206 of Coffee Pods and Was. The show is sponsored by Rain Body Fuel, Whoop, Bird Box Coaching Development, Rad, and the Hybrid Academy. Rain is caffeine in a can, so you can hide the tiredness, similar to how a light dusting of snow covers over the damage on recently burnt land. Uh, Whoop are giving you a free month and strap if you join via join.whoop.com forward slash cpw. It's a device aimed at coaching you to recover so that you can push when you really need to. It tracks your sleep, your HR, your HRV, your body temperature, your strain. It offers invisibility when you put it on. Oh no, maybe that's in Harry Potter actually. Anyway, the other stuff is true. Uh, Rad is the newest, coolest, raddest shoe on the market. There's comfort, functionality and fashion all in one. You can wear them on a date doing thrusters. Um... That at first that kind of sounded sexual, but then I was like, "Why would you still be wearing shoes?" Although they are good enough to probably leave on um, during the act. Um, you could wear them to a discotheque or training or snorkeling anywhere. Uh, the Hybrid Academy dot store is where you'll find Hybrid Academy's new oversized range, um, and you can use Pod Ten for money off their oversized and frankly underpriced range. Uh, com with pods. We'll get you money off the amazing coaching improvement course offered by Justin and Nathan there. Nathan will also fly one person who uses that code to Florida in 2042, so you can get on that there. Uh, today's guest is Tom Miazga. Um, Tom is a multi-year wheelwad champion. He's a former Paralympic swimmer, and he's just a hugely inspiring person to talk to, to be honest. Uh, we talk about childhood coaches becoming colleagues and his longing to take to the floor in Madison one day. Enjoy, listen, share, and tag. Thanks for doing this. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. This, yeah, is, this is one of the uh, most, what would you call it? Projected? Projected? Protracted? I can't remember the word. Where it's like ahead, it's in the future. We found no. this like ages ago. And yeah. I remember at the time being like, oh, I'm pretty busy with record. I try not to do more than one, like one a day and like two or three a week at a push because it's just, I feel a bit guilty um, with family and stuff. So I was like, okay, like, end of april that'll be fine yeah and then honestly totally forgot about it until about like <laughs> two days ago i was like checking my calendar i was like oh fuck i need to like research this guy i totally forgot about that oh, and then <laughs> i messaged you today fully expecting you to be like what what are you talking about so no, i was I relieved did. that you'd remembered it <laughs> yeah no i saved that email i pinned it to the top waiting for the link <laughs> all the way like waiting for today like i'm excited this is great yeah no I, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you like fuck you're an interesting guy some of the stuff that i've seen so um first of all do you drink coffee way too much okay and are you like picky or are you just like once it's brown and hot i don't care um i have a terrible sweet tooth so when i first got into it which it wasn't until after college i actually didn't have any caf uh, coffee until after college when i started okay. teaching which was like essential um i was a uh I was a coffee with my creamer kind of guy and then uh, developed a taste over time. So like straight up black coffee is totally fine by me, but um, I don't, I'm not usually a super, super dark. I like more of a medium, medium or lighter roast for sure. Yeah. But, um, and do you make it at home or do you always buy out? Yeah, no, I never buy out actually. I usually always make it at home. I've got okay, a French what, what what have you got at home? A French press, how is it? I got a French press. Uh I just got an espresso for my birthday, which I'm pretty pumped about actually. So wow. yeah, we're moving up, we're scaling up. <laughs> and is that uh is that a machine or is it like yeah. a is so it's it like a, a Keurig. 
yeah, it's like a Keurig, like a, a self-serving individual cup. But okay. um, the Nespresso does more fancier things. Like it does cappuccinos and Americanos and all those higher end drinks you'd go to Starbucks for eight bucks for. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, flex your right bicep there again. Yeah. Do you see that there? Yeah. That guy? Cool, isn't it? Yeah. Right there. Yep. That's really cool. Is there specific places that you have? Sorry, just for anyone listening, that's an Olympic tattoo. Is yeah. there specific places on your body that you have to get those? Because I never see anyone with it like on their neck or on their, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? It's always like no. thigh or arm. Right. Yeah. No, I think um, it's it's a free for all. Absolutely. I can tell you that I got mine on my right bicep because my idol in swimming growing up was Aaron Pearsall and Matt Grievers, and they were both backstrokers as well. And they both had it on their right bicep. And what was fun about it too, is that when you swim backstroke, like that's the only time you can really see the, the oh, tattoo because yeah. as you rotate your hand, it projects your bicep outward. So like, as you come through, like that's when you can see it, which is kind of fun. So, um, and it's discreet, you know, if I have to be more professional or hide it away, like it's high enough that yeah. I don't have to worry about that. So you'd look like a bit of an asshole if you had it like on your forehead. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, massive chest tattoo, just, just. And it was, oh, 2016? No, 15, 16. Is that when you were at the uh, end? Way back, 2008. 2008. Oh, 2016 yeah. is when you stopped. That's correct. Yeah, I am retired okay, sorry. in 2016. Yeah, but so 2008, that was, that was Beijing, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, man, what a trip. And, okay, um, how long after you finished competing in Beijing did you get your tattoo? Um... So I was actually going into my senior year of high school. I was only 17 when I qualified. Um, wow. Yeah. So it was, um, it required summer school before I went. I came back and had to make stuff up still. And so I was like, just right in the thick of senior year, still 17 until that March of 2017. So legally I couldn't go on my own and go get one. Um, so I actually waited until I had my freshman year of college. Um, I pretty much hopped in the pool right away afterwards anyway. And you, you need to sit out or like, bandage it up for three weeks and not get you know chlorine is supposedly bad it's gonna make their ink mm. gone or dry it out so like i just wanted to wait till i had an opportune time to like take a significant break and um so i just waited until like my freshman year of college and hopped in hopped in a chair and said i need these on my arm and he said done <laughs> i feel like if i did something like that uh i would barely be dry from the pool at, in Beijing, and I'd be like, I need anyone in the audience. Got a yeah, right? Do it now. I'm here. Yeah. I made it. Shoot, I would have done it at Olympic trials when I qualified before I even went to the games. <laughs> um, I wonder, yeah, I wonder, is there like etiquette? Have you, I wonder, is there anyone who has it that's never been there or like who qualified and got injured or who qualified and yeah, got popped or something and, you know, like has pissed people off by getting it? Because this is like a badge of honor of like, oh, yeah. You know, you see like, like Yasmin and like a few others. I think Sony Webster has it. You see a few yeah. like, and you, it is like a, it's basically like constantly wearing a medal. It's like, right. is instantly recognizable as, oh shit, they were at the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. And I like it just for the fact that, if, you know, if I get old and decrepit and I forget everything else I did in my life, I still got that on my arm so I can remember, hey, I did something. <laughs> I think yeah. I did that. <laughs> you can have like a goldfish thing every day of like, what's this? Oh yeah. Like every day. <laughs> <laughs> my whole family though keeps j joking on me that like by the time I get to that age, it's just be the Olympic ovals because my arm's going to be sagging too much. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. The Yeah, that yeah. is awful. That's an, uh, the prunes, the Olympic prunes. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I, li I listened to you on two different podcasts okay oh, fuck, what was the name of the first one work for change yeah um 
and then you were on type one yeah type one as well yeah. mm-hmm. um so is it like and i read i'd say like four or five articles like interview some of them seemed like they were written and then they just pulled quotes that they had heard from you in different magazines and then some okay. of them were like it seemed like you talking to okay, the person. Cool. you know like it was yeah. like a bio with you talking yeah. um is that like if you if you qualify for the olympics when you were in like 17 at what point did you get like asked to do that kind of thing and at, has it ever did it or have you are you still waiting for it to become normal to be asked to like talk about yourself or for someone to write about you or whatever um that's a good question so the the paralympic system you know it's obviously it's very well known across the rest of the world i think in the u.s the paralympic games and the paralympic movement and everything involved is still trying to find its name in the u.s it's grown immensely in the last two quads you know between the 2020 games and the 2016 games we've made Mm. massive changes which has been awesome and more public notoriety and more television coverage but when i went in 2008 like it wasn't even on TV. I had friends staying up at 3 a.m. in the morning to watch me online where they could find a streaming website that they had to pay for, mm-hmm. um, which was tough because, you know, the rest of the world's broadcasting this live in their countries and, you know, relishing in all the cool things. Um, so I don't I just think it was at the wrong time where it wasn't really a huge I mean, it was a huge deal, obviously. And I think within my local neighborhoods, I mean, my city is 12,000 people big. So kind of everybody knows everybody's situation. And it was, you know, well known across the the city and the community and even into Milwaukee that like, Hey, we have Paralympians going over to Beijing this summer. And um, I think just being 17, it wasn't like, I think I was just too young to be seen yeah. as that kind of a public head yet. Um, I definitely did a few interviews within like the local newspapers and the school and um, a couple of swimming websites and things like that, but nothing to like a grandiose where, you know, I'm out in the national news or world news of that nature. Like none of that really actually happened until I got into CrossFit, to be honest, like more of the, the public notoriety came with CrossFit than swimming. So yeah that's across with cool i guess that's why yeah it's kind of fun you know <laughs> um so when when did you start swimming then yeah so i started back in like second grade um what age you in second grade you're like eight eight, eight nine years old yeah okay um so i'll make this incredibly long but really cool story as short as i can um so when i started swimming in second grade it was because my second grade teacher, his name is Steve, was the one that, one that prodded me into swimming. Um, I grew up with three older, I have three older siblings, all of them are totally ambulatory and um, played all a myriad of sports, you know, soccer, cross country, baseball, volleyball, whatever. Um, and I couldn't quite obviously fit in with that. You know, I use a wheelchair most of the time to get around with my cerebral palsy and specifically spastic diaplegia, but I still can get up on my feet. I walk around, you know, I'd walk around on the pool deck um i'm a full-time swim coach now and i still walk on deck all the time what but, sorry what word did you use to describe your siblings uh um some no oh, ambulatory is that just like fully they're... walking fully functional yeah i've never heard that before and how is there a equivalent term that you use to describe yourself then um well i would say i was more in reference of like action i would say able-bodied versus disabled are kind okay. of the, the, the connotations there yeah. okay yeah yeah. okay okay yeah. sorry yeah go on no no you're good you're good um and so when i was in elementary school all of my siblings ahead of me had steve for a second grade teacher and so by the time i got to second grade he already knew 
who I was and what I was coming in with. And um, very quickly, just we built this immediate relationship of, you know, that was more than just teacher student. It was like kind of like a buddy system in a way. And, um, you know, I go out to recess and I'd be in my wheelchair on the blacktop and I'd see all my classmates playing soccer or football together, knowing like I can't quite get in in that or I'll like, you know, want to bust a kneecap or something trying to get out there. And um, so he voluntarily without any question, without any hesitation, just started playing shooting hoops with me every single day at recess. And like, we just got to know each other really well through that. Um, and he was one of the few male teachers at the school. So, you know, he was kind of like the cool teacher and everybody wanted to be around him. So as soon as people saw me and Steve shooting hoops, like kids started getting envious and started coming over and, you know, it kind of helped me build relationships with other kids and kind of show them like, Hey, I'm more than just this wheelchair. Like, um, but he was just starting his local swim club at the time. Um, and I had always known swimming as just like vacation, right? Like you're in the ocean, you're in a pool, you're having fun. Like I didn't realize that you could actually like swim back and forth for laps for competitive reasons and, you know, for training. And um, I ended up joining his swim team right then. And I think this was 2001, 2002 and um, just totally fell in love with it. It was the first time that I felt like my disability wasn't a hindrance. It was a place where like, I almost felt like a superhuman where, the anti-gravity of the water and the, you know, just the general flow of how the body reacts to your, to the waves, like made me feel like I could do anything. You know, it was one of those things where in gym class, I'd stand on one foot for five seconds and fall over. I could stand on one foot in the bottom of the pool for five days and be there totally fine. And it was just so, so cool for me to have that experience and that exposure to say like, I just found an avenue to reaching potentials that I didn't think I was ever going to imagine even thinking would be possible. Um, and at this age of, you know, eight, nine years old, like who the hell is thinking that way? Right. But it was really cool to have that. Um, and Steve basically carried me through, um, until fifth grade when I was ironically, he got moved to fifth grade. I was in his fifth grade class again, but then I had one of my last surgeries. Um, they went in and did a whole bunch of muscle lengthening in my lower half. And that obviously took me out of the water for a while. I had to relearn how to walk again. Um, but I came out better than before, which, you know, you always hope for. And I was actually able to get up and run enough that I actually played baseball, which was something I always wanted to do Played in the same league as my brother did. And so that was really cool. Did that through middle school. Um, but then found the pool again in my freshman year of high school. So this is like, I'm 13, 14 years old, only three years removed from potentially making the games again, which was never even a thought. I went through my first year of high school and, um, Steve had wasn't my high school coach, but he was already on deck with the club team coming in after us. And one day he was at home watching the movie, the remember the Titans. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. It's uh, yeah. all right. So long story short there, the star quarterback, spoiler alert, gets in a car accident, gets T-boned, gets paralyzed, waist down. And at one point in the movie, he ends up telling his teammates, like, like, I'll be fine. No worries. Like I found out there's sports for people in wheelchairs. And Steve's at home watching this thinking like, I wonder if this is a real thing like Googles it and finds the Paralympic organization comes to one of our swim practices the next day and like sits me down and says like, I found this, we need to go do this. And the words that have always stuck with me, because he's been such an influence in my life is he sat down and said, you know, I've been to every single level of swimming competition that there could be except the Olympic games. And if I'm going to get anybody there, I'm going to get you there. And I was just like, oh, okay, that's amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like so taken aback by this, you know, and, um, so we went to our first national meet, not a few months after I finished that high school season, um, 
got myself classified because there's different classes of which you swim in of relative disabilities. And um, six months later, I was down in Rio de Janeiro at the Pan American Games and I won six medals out of seven events. And it just took off from there. It exploded. It was just one of those things where I was waiting for the right avenue to not only use this superpower to kind of feel better about myself, but see that like it exists for other people as well. Like getting to that first meet and seeing other individuals walk the same way I had was such a surreal moment. Cause I'm like, again, like how, I thought I was the only one, like, this is, this is crazy. So, um, and just knowing that we all had that same competitive drive and that same focus was just really cool to be able to take back to my normal training and know, like, this is on the horizon, this is on the future. So ultimately we never planned on, 2008 being our games situation. We always thought that 2012 would be the, the case because I'd be a junior in college, you know, I'll be pretty much fully developed, bigger, stronger, faster. So when we surprisingly qualified when I was 17 years old, it, anything that after happened after that was just icy on the cake. So um, yeah, it was a pretty fast escalation with a lot of trials and tribulations that, uh, you know, it, it's just surreal to like talk about knowing like, that happened like that's pretty yeah. cool <laughs> it's good. It's okay you have a tattoo to remind yourself it was really yeah nice. right just in case <laughs> um so when you were growing up then because like okay i assume that's why you became a teacher then because of steve yeah 100 yeah yep. i mean i that's was cool. so lucky i think my whole life is is defined by the word reciprocity and the idea that i know how much i've been given and not like in the material sense but just the opportunity and the avenues to see potential um and I, I can name rattle off names of people, family, friends, teachers, coaches who have given me so much that I only feel it's right in my life to give it back in the same way. So teaching worked honestly really well with my future hopes. I actually went into college uh, planning on being a physical therapy major. You know, that was another area that I was totally comfortable with because I'd been a part of it for my entire life. And um it was kind of, you know, hoping to take it more of a sports med route and stuff because I've always loved being athletic. And um, when that didn't happen for me, um, teaching was just the perfect fit because it was still kind of the same, you know, hands-on opportunistic view and get to work with people, you're outgoing. Um, but it's just, to, you know, just to know that I could finish that full cycle, you know, come full circle and give back what was given to me has been been the greatest thing about it. So that's really cool that's really cool um i'm a teacher as well and i honestly don't think i will ever impart that kind of drive in someone else to be like i want to be just like him yeah right Um, yeah i can't see that happening um so when you're growing up then um like uh, can you can you remember like did you always know you were different or is there did something like was there a point in time where you were like hang on like it's because obviously like you're so as you grow up like say i have a two-year-old and like she's still at the stage now where she doesn't see anybody as different to anybody. Like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. some people are tall, some people are short, but like apart yeah. from that, everyone's just people. So it's fine. Yeah. And even some dogs seem like they're people. Um, <laughs> and I'm kind of watching her waiting for like, when is she going to realize that, you know, that person's skin color is different or that person's hair color is different or like, you know, that that person's in a wheelchair, that person's what, like yeah. I'm waiting for her to start noticing stuff like that. Um, and I'm curious, like for someone who's in that position, who like is different, like you mentioned being on, you know, yard with um, other kids playing football and stuff and you yeah. not being able to do that and not being able, not feeling like you're able to join in. Like, was there a point 
did it come with like watching your brothers and stuff that you realize like oh wait a minute like this uh, like one of these things is not like the other kind of yeah i think it was um you know unfortunately kind of a harsh reality pretty early on i mean i had, i had used um i had one of my most significant surgeries then in that third grade time when i had just kind of started swimming but um, even before then I was using a walker to get around, I was really high up on my toes. And so my, my Achilles were so tight that I couldn't fully put my heel on the floor. And so I'm basically walking around like a ballerina on my tiptoes all the time. So, you know, I was prone to falling every six, seven steps. Um, I knew right out the gate, not all my friends fall like this. Not all my friends have to deal with this. And, um, I think I had to mature at a very young age because, you know, I realized, as cool as my, my community and my schooling and, and everything has been, you know, kids were fine. They were, they understood me. They just kind of accepted me for what was, what I was and what I was dealing with. Um, I also knew like no kid is thinking about how they're walking right now or thinking about like, Oh my God, that's like, I'm so tired. I can't keep my legs going, but like, I have to, like, they're not having to go through those, those kind of moments. Um, and you know, having to get pulled out of class to go to physical therapy while in school, you know, it's just those little nuances where I had to under accept that, like, this is my normal. And I, again, I'm very fortunate that for most of my life, everyone's been pretty good about it. Obviously there's been bully situations. There's been times where life has been less than enjoyable because of it. But, um, for the most part, like I knew that if I could continue to give myself the opportunity to, maybe get away from this and kind of see myself as a more abled person in the future. Mm -hmm. Like I have to do it now. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's an interesting question because I don't know how much I've actually thought about that and how much of it was just an automatic switch at a very young age. You always knew it was autonomous or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can tell you about instances probably even in kindergarten. So like when I'm five, six years old, where I knew like this ain't going to work. <laughs> and so like, and it's just one of those things where it's just been that way forever. You know, I think about so many of my Paralympic teammates in the, in the past who have joined the Paralympic team because they came from an injury, you know, yeah, yeah. able-bodied life. And now they have, you know, a disability to, to handle and, and to, to work around or work with and adapt with. So it's like, I am always so grateful to like have had cerebral palsy from birth because one, I know how lucky I am to have the type of CP that I have. I know it ranges on such a wide spectrum of you barely notice it to you need a full-time care support and you can barely do anything on your own. So like to have, be able to live a fully functional life, you know, is, is pretty humbling in that regard. But um, yeah, I, I just don't ever see it being anything that I haven't dealt with. So it's just it's just what it is, you know? And is it like, so you mentioned the, the different grades or different uh, severities of it. Is yours, uh, so, okay, cerebral palsy, first of all, is is it, it's something to do with the brain sending a signal to the muscle, isn't it? Like telling it to be tense, basically, or something. Love it, exactly, yeah. So neuromuscular disorder, um, and with mine specifically, it's more one of those situations where, I tell my lower half to do some sort of function, walk, jump, skip, run, right? And at some point in my spinal cord, which is at some undefined place, like, you know, we've done enough digging around to try and figure things out. Like um, the, the neurons, the neurotransmitters in there just freak out and they panic and they just send these high intense spastic messages to my legs instead. So like, as I try and tell myself to walk, my hip flexors and my glutes and my 
you know, my Achilles and my calves, they tense up really big. So when I walk, it's very uh, drunkardly in a way because I use so much of my lower back and it's like much, much more of a swinging gait rather than a heel toe. I got is, this, it, is it painful? Like, is it because if you're tense all the time, it's or do you just kind of get used to it? Yeah, no, I uh, growing pains sucked pretty bad when I was younger, you know, okay. kind of growing up as my muscles, my bones would stretch, my muscles wouldn't come with them because my muscles were so tight. That's hence like a lot of the reasons I had the surgeries I did. Um, is that the physio as well? Was kind of to loosen you up? Oh, yeah, daily, all the time. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't even anything, it wasn't even like strength training, it was literally just laying on the table, getting stretched all the time. Um, and um, and when you sorry when you get into when you get into the water and you're swimming are your legs like passengers then like is it all yeah i yeah. would say so yeah i mean i would say any sort of kick that i got which was a larger range of motion cuz you know there's a little bit more weightlessness in the water so mm -hmm. the range of motion that i was able to garner through kicking was way better than on dry land um, and so any of my kicking was more just for body line rather than propulsion. So yeah, it was more yeah, for buoyancy than anything and just trying to keep my body in line. So my arms didn't have to work as hard, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it was those neurological systems that just kind of panic. And so when I was kind of getting into swimming as well too, I found a really big sensitivity to temperature. So really cold water caused my spasticity to really act up. Um, specifically it's called clonus where your legs just kind of shake and tremor where they are. And they kind of, they really get erratic and almost that, that would get pretty painful when I was younger because they'd cramp incredibly bad. Um, since then, I think as my muscles have fully developed and just gotten used to life, like it's, it's really not a thing anymore. Um, but it was definitely a lot of trial and error of trying to figure out what's, you know, how do I calm this down? How do I handle this better? How do I manage this? Um, so it was, uh, yeah, I think it was just kind of getting used to the stimulus more than anything because water temperatures weren't really changing that much. So it was just like, get your body used to it, get in, keep going. <laughs> um, the surgeries then, were they like, uh, did they take muscle from somewhere else and lengthen the muscle, like lengthen your hamstring? Is it that kind no, of thing? Or? Uh, this is like next level elite deep tissue massages. Like they okay. went in and they went in by hand and hand lengthened my muscles. Like they, <laughs> they pull them apart like taffy. Yeah. They, they lengthen them out so that the bone, the bone muscle proportion would stay equivalent as my legs were growing and stuff. And is that like, are you assessed to see if you're a candidate for that? Or is it like, as in, because you mentioned there that you couldn't swim or walk or whatever for a while after you had yeah. surgery once. So is it a case of like, do they sit you down and say, all right, you're going to take like five steps back, but trust us, it like you'll take 10 steps forward by the time yeah. you're better. Like yeah. I mean, I was very fortunate to have a great uh, pediatrician growing up and, um, who, you know, also worked with the orthopedic surgeon team and stuff. And so from a very young age, we obviously knew something was different. I didn't actually start walking and thinking until I was like two and I was yeah. still holding on, holding on to furniture and holding on to things like, and that was like, I think two and a half, almost three before I started like going things. And that's when they really noticed how I had to swing and my walk was so different. So like we, you know, hopped on the train with an orthopedic surgeon right away and, and the pediatricians and just had a continual monitor of situations. You know, it wasn't anything new to them, I guess, you know, it was new to us because we had nobody in my family had ever experienced this yet. So, um, it was just is, a, it just, is it just a, a neurological fluke? Like, is, is it hereditary or like, is it a latent thing or? Yeah, no, it's not hereditary. Um, we've gone through the whole ancestry, ancestor tree and everything. And there's been no other really known cases in my, in my family, but um, a lot of it is actually due to birth 
complications and okay. birth procedures. So um, I'll say this, actually, most of it is unknown. I had no complications. I was on time. I had no umbilical cord extrangulations. I didn't was, you know, um, premature babies are a huge proponent for CP. Um, like I said, the umbilical cord umbilical cord strangulation. So if the umbilical cord gets wrapped around the neck during, mm. you know, birth, um, that's another thing where the deprivation of oxygen to the brain. Um, but a lot of it's unknown. It's just one of those uh, things. <laughs> it's mad. And it is, um, so your family obviously had no real experience or anything like this. So then there's obviously a lot of adjustment there to be made. And like, if your, your uh, siblings are all like quite sporty and stuff, you seem to have an attitude like pretty early on you mentioned that you had to kind of just mature and just be like right screw it i just have to get on with it like even get yeah. into the cold water and stuff is that is that hereditary like is that did your parents have that thing of like look you're just gonna have to suck it up and get on with it because i know an easy way through things like this is like right where's the cat, cotton wool let's wrap them up and not let <laughs> yeah, it do right? anything. yeah no i think that's the biggest blessing i've ever had in my life is that my if i was wanting to do something or i wanted to go out and try something new my parents never said no because you know all of us in our family have no idea what's going to happen right none mm -hmm. of us have experienced what this is going to be like and so when i went to try out for the uh you know soccer team or the football team right i i wanted to be goalie i'm like there's less running as a goalie like i'll just stand there like that's cool i can handle it and two days in i figured out i can't handle it it's not <laughs> me you know but my parents didn't say no like your legs don't work you can't go play like no, they were, they were very supportive of that. And, you know, I have, you know, three very active siblings as well, and they never saw any reason to slow down or to say I couldn't participate with them or we grew up in a great neighborhood of kids. And so, you know, we always got together and did things. So playing baseball or playing football together was never like an odd thing. It was just like, yeah, Tom's here. We're playing with them too. And I just knew like when I got to school, it was a different kind of game. You know, it was more yeah. aggressive and, you know, it was just a lot more people. So it wasn't very safe for me to try and get involved in that regard. But you know, my family was always, my family and Steve and everybody has been gung ho. Like, yeah, he wants to do it. We're just going to try it. So have you ever played any other wheelchair sports? Have you ever played like, uh, have you ever seen wheelchair rugby? That's like oh. fucking intense. Murder ball is the best thing ever. Yeah. We actually got to catch the gold medal game when I was in uh, Beijing in 2008 and it was riveting but um i did a little bit of wheelchair basketball in elementary school they actually um a local team came to our school as like a like a presentation for a day and i was like yep strap in me strap me in let's go like i'm gonna come over and it was all right but i wasn't i've never been a huge basketball guy so it wasn't yeah. just my big interest um, just wasn't the same as shooting hoops with steve just dude, didn't have the same. It's, it's, it's up there it's stuck up there. um <laughs> but uh i did a little bit of sled hockey uh, a couple of years ago, I tried playing sled hockey, which was pretty How cool. does that work? How do you prepare yourself with your stick? Oh. Yeah. So there's actually like ice picks on the bottom. You have two small sticks and you're sitting in your chair and there's ice picks on the bottom. You're just chugging along like you're doing a biathlon. Wow. Is there as many fights in that as there is in like normal ice hockey? Because I'm thinking a stick with picks on the end of it <laughs> yeah. is like, that's adding it. that should be called murder puck <laughs> then. Sure. Yeah, you got weapons all over the place. Uh, no, there are not that I know of. I only did it for about a year. Yeah. It was great. Um, but we had to practice. Ice time is so hard to find that like our team got on so late on Sunday nights. And I'm like already thinking about lesson plans and going to bed that I'm like, I can't, yeah. I can't get doing this. Um um when so when you were a kid then was there you mentioned like uh bullying and stuff um like you know little bits um it like has that 
have you have, have you had that the whole way up like do you have that now because i know like it, like people are fucking idiots so like <laughs> if anybody sees anything different they'd yeah. stare like it's you and i know it's oh, human no. nature i know it's like your brain just says like keep looking at that what's happening there because i need to make sense of it i need to process yeah, what's happening right. so don't look away i need to take in all the information yeah. but then at, at some point like politeness should kick in and you should yeah. like avert your gaze but like have you had uh have you like have you felt say society's attitude towards you change as you've grown up or have you been fighting the same like you know assumptions or the same kind of looks all the way up sure um i would say it's been pretty standard i haven't seen a lot of change and it's all been great you know i've obviously like i think in middle school was the one time that i had a bit of a blip with you know a whole bunch of boys in the soccer team and stuff and just you know wanting to try and fit in and find my niche and you know just wasn't going to be with those guys but i somehow in my brain couldn't let that go you know and just tried too hard i think and um you know i my true friends came out of that situation and kind of trying to figure out like what do I really need here? What am I trying to find? You know, and it was other people that I'd never would have thought to be my best friends that really were my best friends and people I'd still like to communicate with. I still communicate with today. Um, I think the biggest thing right now is I've always let my, my personality kind of do my talking for me. And I think being somebody that's always been kind of a go-getter and I haven't let my disability slow me down and just kind of put myself out there. And I'm, you know, I won't lie. I'm, stupidly stubborn. Like I'm very independently stubborn. Like I don't like getting, you know, help very often if I'm carrying something like, no, I'll figure it out. Cause in my mind, I've always been like, okay, what if you're alone and you have to do this? How are you going to figure it out? It's so, like, I've always taken that scenario and said like, okay, we'll practice right now, you know? Um, and so I think there's people- actually, so there's a quote that I read, um, from you that really stuck out. Um, and I've left some words out just so it's quicker because <laughs> it's a long quote, but it's like, I think there's something about being, um, something about having a, dif- a disability that makes you, I can't even read my own writing that makes you want to be independent. It's this need to prove to yourself that you can achieve things. And I was like, holy fuck, that is so profound. Like it's so like, obviously there's a line, there's a line of stubbornness where it's like, okay, you need, you're flogging a dead horse here. You need to just stop. But like yeah. the, the things that you've done, like the achievements that you've made, like we'll go through some of the stuff that you've done since you found CrossFit, like, and considering all the adaptations you would have had to make and like kind of, kind of like macheteing a new path in certain ways, like with certain things. Cause like there was nothing really there. So it's all kind of like, I don't know, let's try this. Mm-hmm. But like the things that you've done, and then the swimming and the like even hearing you talk now and saying that you were you were fighting like you know cold water and having to deal with the the struggle of that or the pain of that and then coming back after surgery and fighting again and like the you mentioned the um pan america uh, you were there yeah. i think you were there twice were you um, um one of those at least twice yeah i've had a good handful of international meet experience yeah yeah and then like the the olympics and stuff like it's like it's honestly mind boggling. Like when I think of the things, (laughs) like the things that are so easily within my grasp that I'm like, no, fuck it. You know, like, Mm -hmm. like little, like adherence to a diet or, you know, like anything like, and I'm sure there's people listening who are the same, who at least once this week have been like, oh, fuck it. I'm not bothered. And like to, to the, the hurdles that you've had to overcome to do the things that you want to do and to prove 
like from hearing you talk and from reading things about you to prove to yourself, which is remarkable because a lot of people develop a thing of like, I'll fucking show them. Whereas you seem to have it more of like, I want to see if I can do it. And then I think I can. So now I'm going to do it. Um, So I think it's like, it's absolutely remarkable. The just the sheer volume of (laughs) achievements that you've had. Um, But Wheelwad, so you've won that like, I don't know, a hundred thousand times. <laughs> well, okay, hold on now. <laughs> when, uh, when, when you, so did you find CrossFit as, uh, like, did you find CrossFit and start doing it, or do, or were you doing like strength training, and then someone was doing, you saw someone doing CrossFit, or were you, did you join an yeah. affiliate? Like, how, did, how did you come to start doing CrossFit in the first place? Yeah, no, this is great. So, um, I officially retired from swimming in the beginning of 2016. Um. I was in my student teaching semester of college. So I was basically in a classroom day in and day out. Wasn't really even taking class anymore. I was just getting, you know, straight up school exposure. Um, and I was coming up on that fall would have been my first year as an actual teacher, you know, looking for jobs, trying to find my job. And um, I just had a pragmatic moment when I was at my last swim meet of like, I woke up on the last day and said, you know, who the hell is going to hire a first year teacher who needs to miss the first month of the school year to go to the Paralympic Games? Like pretty hard, slim, you know, slim pickings there. I mean, and it was cool to think like, you know, Rio in 2016 could have been a possibility. And um, I actually missed the games in 2012. And so this was kind of like my redemption song, like hoping like, you know, 2008 wasn't a fluke. Um, But I just told myself like, I don't want to come home from the games, potentially making the games and then not have anything to do for nine months until I can actually find another teaching job. And so, um, especially I, just, I suppose at the part, it's not like it's, it doesn't have the gravitas in the States as the Olympics does. So then at it that won't, point, right. people won't exactly. be like, yeah, cool. No problem. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well that, and even the, the dates, I mean, mm-hmm. the gate, the Olympic games are at the beginning of August, but the Paralympic games don't start until September when school's yeah. already in session. So like even there, you know, if we were in August, maybe it's a different story because I'm not missing a lot of school, but I'm missing a whole yeah. full-fledged month. Um, and so it was that's, just... That's the only reason I don't go to the Olympics. <laughs> you know, I think most that people... And an inherent <laughs> lack of skill and drive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but needless to say, I, I then, you know, I retired early in 2016 and was fortunate enough to get my first teaching job that starting that fall. And um, obviously wanted something to keep me physical physically going. You know, I wasn't super inclined to keep swimming at that point or training very hard, even though I know it's very good for my lower body. And, um, one of our affiliates had just opened up not recently before that. And I had a couple of buddies that were going there and just like, yeah, you should try this CrossFit thing. And I will fully attest that I was one of those guys watching YouTube fail videos of CrossFit thinking like, why are these, this is stupid. Like, what are, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? Um, I was also one of those people. <laughs> I'm probably on there somewhere, but um I uh I went to that gym and neighboring them was a chiropractic company. And so I was like, okay, you know, let's go talk to them, let's go figure things out. Um, you know, they they're called MMT muscle and movement therapy. And so when I joined with them, I actually worked with them before the actual CrossFit affiliate and just got some basic movements down. We kept working on, you know, hip placement and posture and different ways to squat and make my, you know, make sure I was getting the same needs that I was getting out of the pool. Um, Because I wanted to make sure I could walk around my classroom, you know, well enough and feel like my abilities in the classroom wasn't slowing down learning for my students, right? That was like a subconscious fear. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure I was staying agile and mobile. 
Um, and so, and very quickly we escalated to working with one of the trainers at the gym and incorporating some more intricate move, movements and adding some dumbbells. And then they said the magic word pull-ups and I'm like, done. Like that's, those are my jam. <laughs> and so, um, you're like, give me a pull-up bar and a skier and I'm, right? I'm here all day. 100%. Um, and so yeah, very quickly, I bet a couple months into the process, um, I think I joined officially on like in early August of 2016. Um, and then I think I was doing the open by 2017 in February. So it was just like one of the things where I've been a, I've been a glutton for punishment and like, I enjoy making my body feel terrible because I'm really like, I enjoy the reward of that. Like knowing how hard I pushed myself and that I went beyond limits that I thought I was never going to see. Um, there's something about that both in the water and then in CrossFit that has been like really motivating for me. Um, and kind of drawn me into it. So when I got that exposure again in the CrossFit scene, I was like, Oh, I found, I found my competitive drive again, like I had with swimming, but like, I think I have a lot more control over this environment now. You know, it was one of those things where swimming is swimming and especially Paralympic swimming is such a specific niche of people, right? Like you got to have this disability and you got to be able to do this and have these certain times, you know, and all of that. And then you come to CrossFit and it's just like, you know how to move your body. Cool. Come on in. We'll make it work. You know? And it's like, you don't know how to move your body. Cool. Well, come on in. We'll make it work. You know? And it was one of those things where it's just like a whole new perspective on ability and fitness. And one that I thought, like, I thought I was strong. I thought after swimming for 15 years, like I got this, I got a good body. I'm in shape. I can, I can swim for days. And I got on a rower for the first time at CrossFit and nearly puked right at like 400 meters in. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me. And so, um, like to see the, the change in that, you know, alone and just kind of like feel myself feel healthy and feel mm. strong and just know that like that exercise, exercise driven motivation led to lifestyle changes of eating better and thinking more about sleep and mobility and, and just all these things where like, I can confidently tell you now that like, if I didn't start CrossFit when I did, or even if I never have started CrossFit, I'm not sure if I, you know, have kids on the road and 20 years from now, when I'm over 50 years old, I don't know if I'd be able to walk around with my kids. I can tell you today upright, I could carry two kids upstairs right now if I had to, which is, you know, really cool to think that like, that could be a possibility. So, um, yeah, CrossFit started in late 2016 for me and, um, kind of like how Steve actually Google or, you know, found Paralympic swimming. I'm just like, all right, I'm going to learn from what I have already known. I literally Googled, you know, CrossFit for people in wheelchairs. And that's when Wheelwad had popped up and they had only began in 2011, 2012, but they're really, really got things going. I think in 2016, 2017, right when I started. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, I just did the Wheelwad open in 2017 and just the rest went from there. So, uh, um, so you did, you finished first in the open in 2021 and you finished first in the open in 2022 mm-hmm. and first in America and stuff. Um, and that's, so your category is seated with hip. Will you yeah. just explain to me what that, like what that little adage at the end means? Of course. So um, for a long while, wheel wide was three generic categories of seated athletes, standing upper impairment. So missing an arm, issues yeah. there, brachial plexus, um, to then standing lower, obviously your amputees that are below the knee at the hip, whatever it may be. So lower leg, lower limb issues. Um, as we've garnered more population, we've just 
drawn a bigger crowd. We've been able to just kind of branch out and see that like, Hey, just calling it seated athletes is not really fair to the paraplegics or the, you know, that can't get out of their chair or have a big difficulty getting in and out of their chair versus me who could literally stand up and walk out of my chair. Like you think about that movement in a workout alone, that transition from the floor to chair yeah. or chair to floor, I, I, it's just like an unfair advantage. Right. And so um, it was after 2018 that we moved to seated with hip and seated without hip. And it's basically what it sounds like. It's the seated without hip are mostly your paraplegics, your TBIs that are incomplete um, spinal cord issues where just any sort of hip function, hip thrust, hip, you know, standing abilities are not there. So most of their workouts are completely done in the chair. There's a little bit of in and out of the chair. um, But even then it's required, you know, there's assistance of somebody holding the chair or positioning it a certain way. Like they aren't walking back to their chair. Um, And then obviously with hip, we are individuals who, can do full hang gymnastics or, you know, hang from a bar out of our chair with our feet on the floor. Um, we can do anything out on the floor. Um, and obviously with a little bit more hip drives, like a lot of us can actually press through our heels a little bit more, activate our calves, hip flexors, quads, whatever it may be. So there's a little bit more ability to drive weights through, you know, a little bit more momentum and a little bit more drive. So we often go a little bit heavier on weights than we would a seated without hip. Um, and so I think, um, you know, it was, it was pretty cool that I went to Wadapalooza in 2018, 18 or 19, I think. Um, and you know, that was my first real like major CrossFit competition exposure. And that was just, um, an incredible scene to be a part of. Um, and I quickly came back after that and, um, I put it on my Instagram that I was so motivated by everything that I'd seen. I'd been working on this on my own, but I actually was able to do a, I was handstand walking. So I got out of my chair and started handstand walking. And I, I, I don't know if that's the actual reason, but I would bet you that that's a lot of the reason why we have seated with hip and without hip. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, do you, do you think, do you think that there needs to be like is seated with hip? Well, just, just from your experience, say from when you're, when you're in your lane at a competition and you look across at the other athletes, that are in the same category as you. Do you think that that categorization is enough, or do you think that there is sub also subcategories within that category? Because, like you mentioned, that you know some of us can drive through our heels, some of us can, and then then the flip side of that is is obviously people that can't do that in your category who are like, this isn't fair. Yeah, no, I I hear you there. I think if you break it down any further, you're going to lose population and you're yeah. going to lose interest. I think just because it's going to be so specific that people are going to try and like claim certain things. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very imperative that we have a break between seated with hip and without. And what was actually really cool about Wadapalooza this past season is that we all competed against each other, but we all had relative weights. So oh, like okay. seated, seated without hip did a lighter weight, but we all did the same rep scheme and same move, like same standards. So it was really fun because it was competitive all you know in in an equal sense which was really cool um i think what could be done you know is a lot of our so in our upper impairment or lower impairments they have a two point of contact versus a one point of contact so guys that you know still press a push press with two hands versus guys that press with one hand um and they oftentimes for the one-armed individuals would do like a multiplier on their score so like hey they you know bench pressed 135 on one point of contact but we're going to give them a 0.75 multiplier. So like relative to a two arm person, that would be this, you know, kind of like a conversion system. Um, 
I could maybe see that being a situation in the future. Um, but you know, I'm also under the sense of like, I'll toot my own horn when I say like, I train very hard and I love training. And like, if you want to be the best, you got to train like the best, you know, you gotta, you gotta get after it and make yourself suffer a little bit. So, um, some of that, and that's what you're going to see with Chris Stoutenberg, who's our, the wheel wad games director. He does not care at all how you feel about things or how yeah, I, I follow him on Instagram. He's, he's just like, he's a, yeah, he's a savage in that regard. He's just like, figure it out, do it, yeah. you know? And that's, I kind of, you know, take into that mantra. So, yeah. Um, I was looking at your, so I mentioned that you, you won the open in 2021 2022 and those are the two years where the adaptive field was added to the open and in yeah. 2019 you finished um 152,000th around somewhere was that just the open then that was just the open and that i think was just in north america or even maybe worse i don't know maybe more specifically no, like worse is ridiculous no that was not worse. um that I was i think i'm pretty sure that was north america but yeah. So like when you did the open that year, mm -hmm. did you adapt it yourself or did you just say, or did you just go to like, no, I, I think know. what I actually had done, I think, and I, I apologize for the, the lead up. I think I had actually signed up for it, hoping that the first workout would be something that I'd be able to physically do given the standards. And even at scale, even at a scaled standard, like I just wanted to like, put an eight, like be able to do that workout as able-bodied as possible. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it worked out that way. So I think I submitted one score and then that was it for the rest of the season because I just did the wheel wad stuff. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember definitively adapting them. And that's what you do with the, at that time is what we did with wheel wad is um, where the workout would come out like on the Thursday night announcement for CrossFit, we would get our announcement on Friday because we would see the workout Thursday, they would go and wheel out and adapt it. And then we'd have from Friday until Tuesday to do the workout, um, which was relatively similar, like the same stimulus. It was just making sure that movements were adapted so that, um, you know, every division was a spoken for, you know? So, um, when you gave up swimming, then uh, it kind of sounds like it was just at the right time, like that you just kind of, it wasn't like taken away from you or it wasn't no. like, no. um, so did you have to, like, did you ever feel a bit lost after? Or do you think did CrossFit come around quick enough that it was just kind of like, oh, this is just my new thing now? Yeah, I think CrossFit was a good solution to a gradual realization that, like, I can tell that not swimming is not going to be the answer. Mm -hmm. Like, I had to do something, right? Because I just, I found myself sitting more and more. And as the classroom got really busy, it was hard to feel like I could get around on my feet all the time and make that work. So I spent more and more time in my wheelchair. And so it was just kind of one of those things where like all of a sudden I'm like, I think I'm atrophying quite a bit and my hips aren't coming with me as quickly as I'd like them to. And I'm dragging my toes a little bit more often. And um, so it was just one of those realizations of like, we got to find something to, you know, to curb this off a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I'm so I, I challenge myself to read a book a month because, you know, I'm something of a nerd. You. Um, no, I'm I love it. absolutely shit at reading. So I'm like, okay, I need to, <laughs> I need to train myself to read because like I'm a teacher and I, I've been basically lying to kids for years being like, you should read. I read all the time. It's really important. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but I was reading a book, um, The War of Art, and it's nothing to do with uh, athletics or like being an athlete or anything, but just something that you're talking about really like thumped me in the back of the head there where the guy that wrote it was talking about um hierarchical versus territorial 
living. So like hierarchical yeah. living is like those soccer kids you were talking about. Like I want to be accepted and I want to be, yeah. you know, like where do I fit in with this group and what, like, I, right. where am I in the pecking order? Like how, I need to find my spot. And that people that do that, like in general, unless they're at the very top, um, aren't happy because they're either trying to claw their way up above someone that's ahead of them or they're looking over their shoulder trying to stay ahead of the people that are behind them and they're trying to you know like they, they just can never relax like they can never just be yeah. they have they're always like kind of struggling a bit um whereas uh territorial is more about like he told the story of like a three-legged coyote <laughs> in his town who owned all the bins because it was his town and even though he only had three legs it was his and everyone knew it was his and That's no other coyotes came around because like it's his fucking town. So like, don't bother. Yeah. Um, and he was saying like in a hierarchy, he's screwed like uh, in the animal kingdom, like he's in yeah. trouble, you know, yeah. but whereas in the territorial like type of life, he's fine. And he was saying that for artists or I actually think he did mention creatives or athletes as well. He was kind of saying like the territorial living is like the pool. Mm-hmm. where it's like you felt useful you felt safe you felt like um you're in that state of flow you just had like a good vibe from it and it energized you afterwards and now hearing you talk about crossfit it seems like it's the same thing where it's like oh, it's yeah. energizing you to go there and it's giving you like like okay purpose is maybe a bit of a heavy one but it's giving you motivation to you know do things test yourself push yourself and sure. it's it's transferring over the beliefs and the skills that you built up from swimming into this this new niche yeah and i think that's like the best blessing i've actually gotten from crossfit because i think i lived especially when things got so successful so quickly with swimming at such a young age i got very hierarchy driven you know trying to make sure like i'm up there and i'm with the best and i was focused on that and as my career started to dwindle and come to an end i stopped because i finally got to a point where i was like happy with what i had achieved you know for like those those high school to collegiate and post-collegiate life that was like just trying to be like enough and fit in and like make sure i'm doing all the things that i need to to be the best and um be right there with all those people that i always adored and so um when i finally retired it was like that i had that moment of like Nope. I did a lot. And that was great. And I, I am very proud of that. And then come to CrossFit and it's that same realization I had, but all the time, because it's not about how you compare yourself to others. It's how you compare yourself to how you did yesterday and the day before or the year before. Right. And being able to realize that and see like, Hey, I couldn't even, you know, think about doing a muscle up three years ago. And now I'm stringing 15 plus together. Like, or like it's, it's those things that you get so lost on seeing the daily flow of things that make you appreciate what you do so much more because you don't realize how bad you wanted to be the person you are five years ago, you know, and then you see that person now and it's like, that's awesome. You know, and it's, it's really cool because I can tell you that five years ago when before I found CrossFit or just, you know, was leaving the pool, like I was trying to find who I was at that point, my whole life had been swimming. And so to be, you know, here in this very present moment talking about my accomplishments and life that have led me to where I am, like, it's really surreal because the five year ago, me would never have thought that had been possible. 
You're a fucking cool guy, Tom. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> that was that was motivating as shit. That was good. <laughs> that was a that was a good soundbite. Wow. Um, wow. I tell you what, I'm really, really proud of myself that that is the first time that I have referenced a random book that I read ever, and it spawned an actual poignant response from someone. So I, I actually oh. think I'm a proper podcaster now. I think that's hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Um. So I was going to ask you about acceptance, but it kind of seems like it's it's a moot point now because it kind of seems like you just sort of accepted yourself in CrossFit more than you had in swimming, that you weren't chasing anything else. You were just kind of, like you say, I want to be better than last time. Now, I guess it probably helps that you're first in the world <laughs> and that you've won wheel wad like a million times. I can't, I um, can't deny that it's, it's definitely a, a, a motivator and a focus in its own regard. Yeah. Yes. But I definitely joined CrossFit for like making sure my daily life was intact yeah, in the future. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so when you've won, when you've won, um, say the open the last couple of years and you've yep. like you, you know you've you, you've been very successful in the sport it, like how do you gauge success then like is it like is not winning uh a failure when you've won so much or do, do you look for success in like more minute areas of what you're doing um i say that if you know when it does happen that i do lose which you know it'll happen and that's fine um i hope it's not because i didn't put my best foot forward you know, I want to make sure that if I get second or third to other people around me and I hit PR lifts and I went faster on times and workouts and I thought I was going to, and I, you know, I perform as well as I could and that there was just people simply better than me in that regard. Fine. I can be totally happy and confident with that, but I've always been a perfectionist and I've always been somebody that's always been willing to push to that limit and beyond. And so like, I don't think I've ever been I've been motivated by other comp competitors, right? Like I've seen some guys do some things and lift some heavy weights where I think lifting is in, in strength in general is still my, probably the, the lower end of my spectrum of everything that I can do. So um, I always, you know, I'm trying to make that a focus knowing that there's some, you know, tanks that can lift more or equal to me. So it's like that, that urgency is there to, you know, get better at strength. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, if, as long as I'm pushing myself harder than I was last year and, you know, Hey, I got to do that workout in one last set than I did last year, or, um, you know, I was able to do it at a heavier weight. Like that's what I'm looking for. And that's what, that's what drives me every day is knowing that like, there is this objective in front of me, be it a Metcon or a strength piece. And it's just like, how well can Tom do with this today? And where would this put me in my level of own satisfaction with how I did with it? You know, it's not like, Oh, I beat him by 12 seconds. Like, that's awesome. Let's go. It's more like, okay, I went five, five thirty. Like, could I have gone five twenty? Could mm. did I only think I was gonna go five forty? Who knows? You know, it's one of those things where I'm just very intrinsic, intrinsically driven with my own performance about how I do. So it's a good and a bad, right? It's it's a blessing to be able to have that kind of drive and know that that's pretty much there all the time. But it also sucks because I'm always putting a lot of pressure on myself. So, um, you know, it's a it's a double edged sword, if you might. Um, are you happy with? Uh, obviously, this is the, this is the second full year, I suppose, of the adaptive fields being in CrossFit, and it'll be the second time that uh, there'll be adaptive athletes in Madison this year. Are you happy with how it's going? Like, are you, obviously, when it's like the sport is in its infancy, like mm -hmm. compared to other sports, and then yeah. the adaptive field in it is like essentially still a fetus then if the sport itself yeah. is still in its infancy. So are you happy with how it's going? Do you think that there should be more done already? Or are you happy with where it's headed? 
So I, again, I come from a unique perspective because I was embraced in the, you know, and just engulfed in the swimming world at a time when it wasn't a thing in the U S like mm -hmm. nobody thought about us public swimming. Right. So I didn't, I didn't think to like, how do I grow this and how do I make this bigger? You know, like I always wanted to try and meet local disabled individuals and bring them to the pool and show them what they could do, but nothing like getting national notoriety and television stuff. So a lot of my fellow athletes don't have that background where, okay, we're adding adaptive divisions to the open. And then we're sending three classes of athletes who are probably the three most easily adaptable to what's already set up in Madison, right? As equipment, you know, movement standards, all of that stuff. Like they're the most easy, the standing upper, the standing lower and the neuro is like, they can pretty much fall into able body movements on a re regular basis. Um, so bringing them in was totally fine. I have a lot of friends that, you know, would agree that everybody should be in the games by now. Like we should have all the divisions in there. Um, I think it was pretty cool when we had the open last year, because I don't know how many people have actually expected that. I think we all kind of taken aback and like, hell yeah, this is awesome. Let's go. Um, so it was pretty cool. And then when we saw the three classes move on that we didn't realize we're even going to be a thing, we're like, whoa, okay. Like pretty cool. But like, why am I still home? You know? So it was mm -hmm. one of those moments. And then this year we added the semifinals, right? So that's actually in about a month. Uh, the adaptive semifinal is June 2nd through the 5th. Um, and so we felt good about the open, you know, I know there's a lot of issues about people being able to scale the open and be on the leaderboard right now. There's only an RX path on the CrossFit leaderboard. And so that's not everything that everybody can do. Right. And so I think people in that regard feel a little bit left out. Um, but I know that too will come with time. I think it's just, you know, it is only the second year of us being in the open and it's such a new population to a lot of your everyday CrossFitters that, you know, those that are managing the leaderboards and those that are writing the workouts probably don't not always have the same exposure to every single kind of disability out there or how every single person is going to move. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, you got to cut up some slack in that regard is like, we're just figuring this out. And with regards to the open, like it's only going to get better. Like if we didn't have a great year this year, like we learn from that and we take those, you know, suggestions and observations and we improve for the year coming forward. Um, with the summer, where, where, where does your season go from here then? Like you personally. Right. And so this is where it is now. And so we all were under the inception after seeing those three divisions go to the games last year, Madison, like, all right, next year, we got it. We're all in, we're going to do this. And they CrossFit had originally told us that like, well, based on population of the open and how many people actually sign up for the adaptive open will determine how many people or which divisions go to the games next year. And we're like, all right. Well, before they even open started, they already made the decision that the same three classes were going to go to games and nobody else. And so we're like, oh, so that's the part where we're all kind of like, I'm a little bit like you went against your word in that regard. You know, like you didn't even give us the chance to try and, mm -hmm. you know, vouch for this. I know there's a lot of talk about getting the seated athletes there this year as well. Um, so that was kind of tough to see. But again, for me, like seeing the semifinal be a thing. Okay, that's another step forward. That's more to it. So the three divisions that will compete at the games in Madison will go to the semifinal as well, where the top five will move to the in-person games in Madison. For the other five divisions, let me rattle them off here. It's seated with hip, without hip, um, short stature, visual impairment, um, 
and I apologize to whoever I missed. There's one more, but um, the the five of us will use the semifinal to be crowned fittest on earth within the CrossFit brand. So like we will still have like there's a payout for the top three. It'll run much like I think the regionals just uh, quarterfinals just ran, where we'll be given the workouts on Thursday. You have until you know Friday. Okay, so it's it's at home. It's in it's in your own affiliate. Virtual, yeah. We don't have a yeah. We have a virtual semifinal for us. I think along with some of the age groups as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, double edged sword there again. Like, yeah, it'd be cool to be in person and be able to compete against our you know each other mano a mano but like i also love that i have the control of my own environment and i get to use my mm-hmm. own barbell and i you know feel comfortable about my surroundings so um what's think, your what's your gym's name uh adapt and conquer crossfit what a good name yeah right <laughs> <For gym. laughs> um and do you coach there as well yep yep and and you still teach actually no i didn't break that hard news yet so i actually okay. only taught for about three years um when even more full circle I now run the same swim club uh, that I said. Oh my God. Steve and I are now, you know, yeah. So I run one of our branches of our club that I was actually the district I was teaching in. Um, They didn't really have a formal swim program at the time. So do you work with him? Does he still do it? Oh yeah. Yeah. We still work together. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really fun. Um, So it's like a Disney movie. It is. It really is. There's many other cyclical parts that, you know. Yeah. Well, maybe you know, like HBO did. Max or something. <laughs> it's a mini docu-series, you know. Hallmark, um, yeah. <laughs> um, that's so cool. God, yeah. yeah. I like Steve. He sounds like he's a good guy. He's a good um, Okay. And then, so when is uh, when is the Wheelwalk Games then? Where are they yeah. And so, there's, and so there's that element too yet. So we can be cross crowned fitness on earth by CrossFit, but then we still have the wheel wide progression as well, which we just finished up um, stage one or like the open per se of wheel wide a couple weeks ago. Um, stage two will be the top 20 from each division moving on to stage two in July. And then the top five will go in person in Raleigh, North Carolina in October. Um, we were down there in Raleigh last November for the games in person which was huge success considering that the year prior due to COVID, we had to cancel the games entirely. So yeah. um, to have that, that 18th month site, 18 month cycle basically come back and um, be able to you know be in person the way we were, was really awesome. So we're looking forward to it this year. I know there's big talks. We were in a local gym, uh, Noose River CrossFit owned by Johnny Prescott, who is one of the wheel wad organizers and, put on a hell of a show last year, but I think we're already moving to like a larger convention center set up this year. So it'll feel much more like a a semifinal and stuff, which yeah, it'll be pretty incredible. So, I mean, you know, with eight different categories, male and female, you're still looking at 85 plus athletes that are going to be there. So it's a, it's, it's a hell of a time. And hopefully now with the the bigger venue, it should be a big spectacle. You know, it should be pretty cool. Um, Would this be your fifth year winning it? Uh, Hopefully. Yeah. That's cool, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. Right. Um, well, look, we'll we'll finish with a quick fire. All right. Oh boy. Um, so, uh, dumbbell or barbell? Ooh, barbell. Uh, swim or CrossFit? Oh, you can't do that. Uh, CrossFit because I can swim in it. <laughs> um, rings or bar? Rings all day. Uh, coach or compete? Oh, um, still young. Compete uh gymnastics or strength gymnastics um i was gonna ask actually when you said that you were coaching so obviously there's an an uh when like i'm curious about 
moving from say swim coaching into crossfit coaching because i know swim coaching like you don't get in the water with the person and try no, to, right you no. know like whereas crossfit you have that thing of you can pick up the barbell and say do this and right. like they can learn by watching yeah if there's movements that you would adapt and you're coaching someone who wouldn't adapt to movements like do you think that your swim coaching has given you an advantage there of like you have to be able to explain it really well because you're not going to jump in the water and do it be like hey yeah. just do it like this right no i i, I Totally agree. And I think actually just through my own disability and my own ability to recognize what my body's doing has been really helpful as well. It's like, I'll watch a swimmer and I almost, it's like this osmosis where I feel like I can, I can feel what that swimmer is feeling as they're moving and be like, Mm. Hey, you know, we need to brace our core better, or we need to have a better hip roll as we're going to their next stroke. It's the same thing in CrossFit. You know, I actually find that one of my, one of my strong suits is actually teaching a squat. Because I feel like even though I can't physically do it without major support or holding onto a rig and a safety squat bar, you know, I can see somebody's and saying, hey, like, no, we got to turn those toes out a little bit. Or, hey, you're, you're letting your knees cave in. And, you know, I can feel that as they're doing it, which is pretty cool. Um, but at the same time, like, I have to be very specific with what I'm going to say. Like, yeah. if I have to look at the workout and I have to go in knowing, like, okay, I have to go over Turkish get-ups today. All right, well, here, I'm going to, sh- I have to talk through to myself, like exactly what I know I need to say in order to get this communicated mm-hmm. effectively, because I'm not getting on the ground to show it. You know, I'm fortunate that we have a TV by our whiteboard. So like I can plop up a YouTube video and show it as well as I'm kind of talking through things, which is really nice. Um, but I also want to try and be as authentic as possible. And, you know, so it's a, it's a mix, uh, a mix and match of just, you know, showing or maybe grabbing somebody from class to have demonstrate and kind of talk as they're modeling um or just you know go with it and see what we figure out yeah it's remarkable like there's a coach here you know filthy 150 yeah um yeah so one of the the owners of that is a coach and he put up a thing that really got me thinking over the weekend of uh you know know it versus like say it and i like i immediately thought of like tying your laces and if you said if you were teaching someone how to tie their laces and couldn't touch the laces like it's so difficult yeah, to explain right? what to do oh yeah um and yeah just like, like knowing that our conversation was coming up i was thinking of like god imagine coaching someone how to do a squat and as you say yeah. when you need to adapt it yourself to do it so yeah it's remarkable um well look thank you for coming on it's been like genuinely inspiring to talk to you and i hope that <laughs> doesn't sound condescending no um, i appreciate that thank you it's it's remarkable the things you've achieved and i assume we'll go on to achieve hopefully this is fifth in the row in a row this year and i really hope you get your opportunity to go to madison because i think it's yeah. fully deserved and it would be great uh, to see more and more um categories added into the list to just be fantastic so hopefully the population yeah. keeps growing um and if they increase the population if they increase the participation based off population for the adaptive field it gives hope that there might be an extra spot or two for european athletes uh, based on participation yeah, well. right. <laughs> um, well listen thanks very much uh it was genuinely a pleasure to talk to you and uh, enjoy your your upcoming coaching session there as well thanks man i appreciate it it's been a real pleasure, pleasure.